Well, like many of you, our family was awakened this past Monday night about 12.30 in the morning to the sound of tornado sirens. It was first Wade who woke up, and then we woke up and saw the alerts on our phones. So we got everybody together, and we went down to the basement. We, uh, we forgot the dog and felt bad about that later. Um, but we went down to the basement for about 20, 25 minutes until the sirens stopped, and then we came back upstairs and, um, and we went back to bed, and we didn't think a whole lot about it. That was until we got up Tuesday morning and turned on the news and figured out that some very serious and deadly tornadoes had swept through Middle Tennessee, um, taking the lives of many people and doing a lot of, of damage, specifically in East Nashville, in North Nashville, Germantown, Donaldson, Hermitage, Mount Juliet, and Cookville. Some of the winds, we are told, went up to 165 miles an hour, and many of you have gone and you have seen uh, the destruction that was left in its wake. 24 lives uh, have been lost, including children. Homes and businesses have been destroyed. Uh, billions of dollars of damage have been sustained. Donaldson Christian Academy, where some of our youth go to school, a large part of that school was completely wiped out. Five points in East Nashville was hit hard, as well as other parts of, of Germantown, uh, not very far from downtown. The stories that have uh, come out of Cookville and Putnam County have been devastating. And, and if you've been paying attention to the news, then you have seen and you have heard all of this uh, over the past few days. Uh, yesterday, our family uh, went over to North Nashville to our sister church, New Covenant Christian Church. It is located on uh, well, it's right in the heart of North Nashville, not far from Fisk uh, University, and they are setting up a, a distribution center because they are right in the middle of where it hit in North Nashville, and uh, today we're doing a supply drive, and we're going to continue to do supply drive, but if you're looking for a place to volunteer, um, New Covenant Christian Church is looking for folks to help man their distribution center. And even today, they are going out into that neighborhood and asking the residents what their greatest needs are so that we can make sure we get those uh, supplies. But this is going to be a long uh, rebuilding effort for these communities. But isn't it amazing that when something terrible like this happens, Nashville rallies. People show up to help each other. Uh, supplies are donated, money is donated. Uh, Tennessee lives up to its reputation as the volunteer state. Uh, I called Steve LaForge, who was our missions coordinator, uh, Tuesday morning. He was already loading up his trailer to go out uh, with Hope Force and to do uh, disaster recovery. I was walking down 24th Street yesterday in East Nashville about 12.30, and I looked up on the roof of a house that had been taken off, and there's Steve and Deb putting a roof back onto a house with their Hope Force volunteers. Um, our church has a tornado relief fund. We're encouraging people to give to it. Um, and there's lots of organizations that you can go to to volunteer. Hands on Nashville, the Nashville Food Project. Um, there's so many more, but there's a lot of work to be done and just like in 2010 when we had the flood, this is going to be a long rebuilding effort. Jim and Donna Eaton lost their lives in Mount Juliet in the storms. And when they were looking through the, the rubble that was their house, they found a quote. And you know what that quote said? It said, don't tell God how big your storm is. 
Tell the storm how big your God is. Don't tell God how big your storm is. Tell the storm how big your God is. Isn't that powerful and true? Now, before the tornadoes hit, everybody was talking about the coronavirus. And we're talking about it again. Uh, it is rapidly spreading across the globe. And now it's in uh, the U.S. Markets have been shaken. There's a lot of fear and anxiety. Tennessee had its first confirmed case in Williamson County. Schools have been out. Uh, we're doing fist bumps or whatever Justin did this morning with the heart. I think that's great. We're trying to be cautious, but also we're trying to not let fear take over because it's during times like this when we need our faith and we don't need to let fear take over. On top of the coronavirus, you have the presidential election that's starting to heat up and that's on people's minds as well. Uh, in recent weeks, I've enjoyed leading a, a class of people with different political views, different ideologies, but they've come together to be civil and to discuss and to listen to each other, which is something that we need more of in this culture and in this community. I think Christians need to do this because if we're honest, Christians are often not very good at doing this. And sometimes Christians can be the ones who won't listen and the ones who won't have an honest and civil dialogue. But you take all of this together all of this that's going on in our culture, in our society, in our community, and, and you just acknowledge that there's a lot of things in life that keep us on edge. Many things that cause us to live in a state of heightened fear and anxiety. Many things that stress us out even before we start our day. And so I think that one of the best things that we can do is come back to our faith, come back to the words of Jesus Christ to refocus and recenter to calm down, and to not live as though everything is out of control. And maybe we need to hear the words that Jesus told his disciples when they were on the boat in the Sea of Galilee when he said, peace, be still. Peace, be calm. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Today we're moving into the portion of John's gospel that is known as a farewell discourse. It begins in chapter 13 and it goes for five chapters. Matthew and Mark tell us very little about what Jesus had to say at the Last Supper. Luke has only 25 verses that actually deal with it. But in John's Gospel, we have five whole chapters that are dedicated to the Last Supper, to Jesus' final meal with his disciples, and so much of this material is unique to John. It's in these chapters that Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for what is to come. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew that he would be betrayed, that he would go to Gethsemane and would be arrested. He would be tried, then he would be crucified. And so because of this, Jesus had a lot on his mind that he wanted to say to his disciples at the Last Supper. This is one of the most profound and powerful portions of Scripture in the entire New Testament. In the upper room, we have Jesus washing his disciples' feet, exhibiting what servant leadership is all about. And then he tells of his death and betrayal, and he says, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples can't believe it. They say, Surely that's not true. What are you talking about? Who, who would do such a thing to you? But Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and he did. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been betrayed in life? Have you ever had somebody that you trusted or that you had confided in turn their back on you? or say something about you when you were not around 
that ultimately got back to you? We probably all have that in common, I would guess, as human beings, but betrayal hurts. You know, I'm a fan of loyalty. Not blind loyalty, but loyalty. I, I try to be loyal to the people that I love, the people who have been there for me. But when somebody doesn't return that loyalty, it's hard. Human beings can be masters of saying one thing in front of certain people, but another thing in front of another group of people. But if you want to be respected and if you want to be admired in life, then say the same thing in front of all different groups of people. That way you don't have to remember what you said because you say the same thing. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't talk bad about people unless you're willing to say it to their face. Of course, we can't control what other people say that we said. You ever play that game of telephone, church camp, or somebody takes a message and they pass it down a line of 15 people, you whisper it from one person to the next, and then by the time it gets to the end of the line, it sounds absolutely nothing like the original message that was first started? That's often what happens in culture, in society, with human beings. But it's only made worse when people say things about somebody in hopes that it'll never get back to them. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Jesus knew what it was like to experience betrayal, to be stabbed in the back. And I have no doubt that that hurt and hurt deeply. But even in the face of that, here is what he tells his disciples in the upper room in John 13. He says, I'm with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. But I give you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is what he says in his farewell address to the disciples, to his followers, to his friends. Love one another. They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you serve and take care of one another. You know, throughout my years in ministry, I've been able to be with many different people who are, who are dying, who are on their deathbed. It's a, it's a privilege, it's an honor, but it's also very difficult at the same time because you never quite get used to that transition and being there uh, for, for that. But when people are on their deathbed, when they know that they're coming to the end, when they know that they only have a, a few hours or days left to live, they, are, they, they speak from the heart because they have nothing left to lose. There was a palliative nurse in Australia named Bronnie Ware, and back in 2011, she published a book that was titled The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she was basically reflecting upon her years of being with people when they died, when they transitioned. And, and, and so she said, here are the top five things that I've heard uh, from all these patients that I've been with, that I've walked with through the final hours of, of life. Number one, she said she heard this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life that was true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. This was the most common one. When people realize that their life is almost over and they look back on it, it's easy to see how many dreams have been unfulfilled. Most people had not chased half of their dreams, and they have to die knowing 
that they, that they, they didn't go after something that they really wanted, that they really wanted to do. You know, health gives us a freedom that very few realize until all of a sudden you don't have it. And many take it for granted until they no longer are healthy. The second thing she said, she heard was this. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She said this came from just about every male patient. They miss their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but because most of her patients were older, she didn't hear this as much uh, from female patients. But now I think both male and female patients would say that. She said, all the men that I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. And they missed out on so much. Their children growing up and playing sports and doing plays, and they weren't there because they were working so hard, and often for good reason. The third thing she heard was, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Many people suppress their feelings in order to keep peace with other people. And as a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and they never became who they were truly capable of becoming. Many developed illnesses relating to bitterness and resentment that they carried as a result of that. And psychologists will tell you that bitterness and resentment is toxic and it will literally kill you if you're not careful. The fourth thing that she documented was this. People would say, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Often they would not really realize the full benefits of old friends. And during their dying weeks, they would, they would look back and say, I wish I had been more intentional about staying in touch with my friends. Many of them had become so caught up in their own lives and they had let their golden friendship slip by over the years. And there were many deep regrets about not giving attention to their friendships and not investing in their friendships. And of course, everybody thinks about and starts missing their friends when they are about to die. And the last thing she said in her book was this. She said, patients would say, I wish that I had let myself experience more happiness. And this is a, a common one, but many people did not realize until the end of their lives that happiness is indeed a choice. You know, they had stayed stuck in their old patterns, their old habits, uh, their, their comfort of familiarity, and they did the same old things. But what they realized, but I didn't choose happiness. I didn't allow myself to enjoy life and the blessings that were right in front of me and right in my midst. Fear of change and fear of things not staying under their control, fear of, of things going away or being taken away, that would keep them from being happy and loving the people that were right in front of them. So when Jesus gets to the upper room, he knows his life is coming to an end. He knows that his hours are limited. What does he say to his disciples? He says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. They will know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you love one another. And then in chapter 14, he says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. 
Now, Thomas, you know, responds and he says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except by me. Now, we often hear this passage at funerals. And it's interesting that this verse in John 14 has been used throughout the years as a claim to Christian exclusivity, that the only way to God is through Jesus. And people have argued and debated and fought about this time and time again. But let's think a little bit deeper here about what Jesus is saying. What does it mean for Jesus to be the way to God? It simply means that Jesus is the human manifestation of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh. It simply means that Jesus is how we come to know God. If we want to know God, then we do that by knowing Jesus and everything that he was about, his love, his peace, his mercy, his compassion, his kindness, forgiveness, redemption. That is what God is all about. We know that because that is what Jesus was all about. Adam Hamilton, a Methodist pastor, says this. He says, what do you trust in? When you strip away everything else, what is it at the bedrock in your life that you trust in? Some people trust in their abilities. Some people trust in their wealth. Some people trust in the military. Some people trust in their own intellect. But Jesus Christ calls us to trust in him, to count on him. And then just a few verses later, he makes a promise. He promises them and he promises us today, I am convinced that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will be present in our lives. He says, the advocate whom the Father will send in my name will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. He says, my peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. So here we are, March of 2020, deadly tornadoes have hit our town, taking lives, doing lots of damage. The coronavirus is spreading and, and everybody's doing this and not shaking hands. Political elections are heating up and will be for the rest of the year. And we have all of this going on in our culture, but here's what Jesus says. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So maybe if we could add one more to that list of regrets of the dying, if we could add a sixth regret, it might be this. I wish I had worked to experience the peace of Christ in my life more often. I wish I had made the conscious decision to not let all the fears and stresses of life take away my joy. I wish I had learned to experience every stage of life along the way and not just waited for the next stage to come. I wish I had taken more time to slow down, to be with my children and my grandchildren, and to look around and count all my blessings. You know, one of my favorite Broadway plays is based on uh, Thornton Wilder's book, Our Town. And, and, you know, one of the greatest scenes and quotes from that play comes at the end when one of the characters named Emily, who dies at the age of 12, she gets to heaven and she begs the stage manager for permission to come back for one day to Grover's Corner, where people are so busy rushing around and, and, and doing all their stuff. And, and upon her return, she asks this question. She says, does anyone ever realize and appreciate life while they live it? 
No, the stage manager says, they don't. Here's the deal. Jesus promises us that the power and peace of the Holy Spirit will be there, will be present, but we have to be open to it. We have to pay attention to it. If we are too busy and too preoccupied and too stressed out and trying to do too much, then we will miss it. But that's not the way life is to be lived. We are to enjoy it. We are to celebrate it. We are to pay attention to the blessings that God has given us. But if we fall into the trap of being stressed out and worried and watching the stock market and watching the news and just getting ourselves so worked up, we won't enjoy it. We'll miss it. And so many of us miss it. Think of the people who went to bed here in Nashville and Cookville and Mount Juliet on Monday night and they had no idea that a dangerous storm would come and, 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 and total their home and, and take their life. Something unforeseen that was completely out of their control. Don't you think that they would say, or they would like to say, I lived every day as if it could have been my last? I spent time with the people that I loved. I did things that were meaningful. None of us want to have regrets when our lives come to an end, which means that we have to live every single day as though it could be our last. And then when time comes to move on from this world, then we must trust in those words of Jesus that we move on to a much better place, that death doesn't have the final say, and that fear will no longer win. Amen.